1928, the first winner for Outstanding Motion Picture was Wings. In a few minutes, uh, we'll know the 50th. The films nominated for the Academy Award this year are Annie Hall, Jack Rollins, Charles H. Jaffe Productions, United Artists, Charles H. Jaffe Producer. The Goodbye Girl, Ray Stark Production, Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, Warner Brothers, Ray Stark Producer. Julia, a 20th Century Fox Production, 20th Century Fox, Richard Roth Producer. Star Wars, a 20th Century Fox production, 20th Century Fox, Gary Kurtz, producer. The Turning Point, Hera Productions, 20th Century Fox, Herbert Ross and Arthur Lawrence, producers. And the winner is Annie Hall, Charles H. Joffrey. It's the fourth episode of For Your Reconsideration! 1977 has arrived! Yay! Uh, apologies to Kermit and the Muppets. I, I get excited. I'm Matty Price, and along with producer Jamie J.D. Dew, we are back with a great panel. I'm your host for the conversation once again. Will we need a do-over, or did the Oscars get it right? This episode looks at the mostly American movies of 1977, including Best Picture winner Annie Hall, Dance Drama The Turning Point, Unreliable Memoir Julia, Star Vehicle The Goodbye Girl, and an obscure film now lost to history, Star Wars. As always, our panelists will present their own alternative ballot and winner. Thanks again for listening and downloading. As always, this podcast is available pretty much wherever podcasts are available. And you can learn more about this and other great shows at duvre.com. That's D-E-W-V-R-E dot com. Join me, panelists Karen Gordon, Ryan McNeil, and Leslie Byron Pitt. This discussion was recorded over the interwebs. And uh, feels like it happened only yesterday, actually, instead of one or two weeks ago. So let's get into it. Okay, this is 1977. I am Maddie Price. I'm joined by an amazing panel. I'm going to go around and give everybody a chance to introduce themselves. Um, Karen, why don't you start? Let the folks know who you are. Hi, Maddie. Thanks. And hello, everybody. My name is Karen Gordon. Um, I'm uh, located in Toronto, and I'm a freelancer. One of the things I do is um, work as a film writer and film critic. I'm a longtime film fan, so it's it's really an exciting thing to me to be able to do this. Um I've done film criticism writing on a whole bunch of mediums, TV, on the CBC, on radio, uh, but I'm also one of the founding uh, critics of a website called OriginalSin.ca, and that's mostly what I'm doing now. Nice. Thanks. And thank you for doing this. Uh, my pleasure. I just, on a personal note, Karen Gordon, you are my favorite, of maybe one of my top five favorite all-time CBC radio hosts. Thank you. And I, I'm so happy that I got to know you, really oh, really th and truly. Thank you. I, yes. I was always freelance, never full-time the, there, so maybe the I first, should send this to them. The first time I met you, I was scared to go up to you. That's how much I think you're great. Wow. Uh, <laughs> uh, I like everybody on the show, but I just needed to say that. <laughs> I, needed, I needed to level set on Karen. 
Uh, Leslie, please introduce yourself from across the pond, as it were. Yeah, so uh, my name's Leslie. I am a uh, film writer, podcaster, and photographer, allegedly. All those things <laughs> in England. And uh, I've been free, uh, kind of freelancing and writing movies for more than I would like to say. Uh, mostly blogging, but just I find myself in places like Set the Tape. I've written for Empire. Um, I've contributed to um, BBC iPlayer and um, Sight and Sound and Jazz FM and all over the place. <laughs> and thank you so much. Again, this is such a thrill to meet you in person. Um, I know you through a website called Row Three, which is now defunct. Yes. But uh, but boy, it's been it's been a pleasure knowing you all these years and to get to talk to you in person. Amazing. Uh, last. Guys. Oh, me too. Last and absolutely not least, because, of course, I am the worst person here. Uh, Ryan, welcome. I'm Ryan McNeil. I'm in Toronto, Canada. I feel like I'm the one at the kids' table in this little uh, coffee clutch that we've assembled. Um, my podcast is thematinee.ca. You can find it anywhere the podcasts are found. Uh, we talk about film from the point of view of passion and perspective uh, and uh, arrive fortnightly. Used to write a lot more than I do now. Uh, maybe one day I'll try it again, but uh, these days I live behind my microphone and inside of my own headphones, and I'm very, very happy to be here. Yes, this is super exciting. I'm really, this is a great year. I'm really happy to dig into it with you guys, just to level set. The Best Picture nominees this for this year of uh, 1977, which was presented in 78, the winner was Annie Hall, uh, a little tiny film that nobody had heard of called Star Wars, uh, The Goodbye Girl, Julia, and The Turning Point. So... One thing I like to do to start this off is just to level set with everybody and sort of get a sense of your perspective. What is, in, in a way, what I'm curious about is what is your relationship to this year in movies? Like, how did you generally encounter these films um, and this year in filmmaking? Were you alive? You may not have been. Um, and uh, for instance, I was six in 1977. Here's what I remember. I remember other six-year-old kids in my class bragging in September about how many times that summer they had seen Star Wars. I've seen it four times. I've seen it five times. And I remember thinking that was dumb. <laughs> I just remember, I very distinctly remember thinking, what? Five times? That's just dumb. And I obviously I was wrong. Um, I did not see any of those other nominated films that year. I didn't see any of them till much later. The Goodbye Girl and, and Annie Hall, I, I probably saw in early high school, great you know, nine or, or 10, something like that. And then I watched Julia and the turning point much more recently. Um, and I think that that may be the same for you guys, but I'm curious, what is your, you know, what were you like in 1977? Were you a thing? And if, you know, whether you were or not, how did you kind of come at these movies? Who was the first? Anyone? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I think, I don't know if I'm the youngest, so I, I wasn't around in 1977. Um, so my, how I got to these films were I obviously had seen two of the nominees already in my teenage years. Um, and I, I do mean my teenage years. I saw Annie Hall and Star Wars when I was in my teens. I didn't watch Star Wars when I was younger. And that one decision has kind of really <laughs> dictated how I view movies. I think so many people watch Star Wars and 
they're in love with it and I am at times indifferent to it and uh, fans have not made it easier. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the year of 1977, for me, um, I just went back and looked at some of the lists of these movies and I just you forget how stacked some of these um, years of film are. And I just had a look and there was a list of films that I had that I thought was just a little bit more interesting at times. I mean, you got Saturday Night Live, um, you got A Razorhead, and you got Close Encounters, Sorcerer, Looking for Mr. Goodbar, and Free Women. And I'm like, wow, this is interesting, the nominations they picked up, um, because I would have changed at least three of them. We're going to hold that thought. <laughs> We're going to get there. Uh, Ryan, were you alive? Not quite. I was uh, conceived. Um, way to go, mom and dad. Um, so you, as my parents would say, you did not have a window seat. I did not have a window seat, no. Yeah. Um, I, so I, I mean, Star Wars is one of the earliest films I can remember seeing as a, as a boy. Um, I, I'm, I'm, some, I'm a little bit more into it than, obviously, than Leslie is, but not as into it as some. Uh, and so I can understand the angst for lack of a better word uh as i got into classic film um in my early 20s i would have come across uh, annie hall and then more recently the goodbye girl and julia the turning point was the only film that i had never seen before uh you know being approached for this show so that was the new introduction and um I find this to be a really fascinating little cross-section, um, even more fascinating when you mentioned some of those films that Leslie talked about that are on the outside looking in. But this is, um, this is a really, really interesting group of films. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I'm, I'm, so, I'm dying to sort of get into it. I will give Karen, Karen, I apologize for in any way referencing your age, but my suspicion is you did see some of these. Yeah, I'm really terrified to talk. I considered hanging up. Not only, not only was I alive in 1977, but I was already into my 20s. I'd already had a job and moved to another city. I was living in Ottawa in 1977 and saw, uh, was already, uh, it's funny, at that point in my life, I didn't think of movies as anything but the thing I did on the weekend. And, um, and so I had, when I thought back, when I started writing about movies and thought back to what, which movies, I, Annie Hall for me changed the game, by the way. It was a huge moment yeah. for me. Yeah. And Star Wars was a, a novelty, a wonderful novelty, but it wasn't for me. I, I know I've talked to so many people who are younger <laughs> and who weren't maybe born then or who were six or seven, five or something I know who's become a major figure here star wars just riveted him at the age of four or five it, he knew then he wanted to work in movies but for but i saw all of them the, the, when i think back at movies that profoundly affected me it would have started with maybe the godfather but i grew up going to the movies on the weekend you know it was a whole era where if you wanted to see a movie you went to the theater so the movie that i saw three times at the theater was annie hall um and uh so i kind of have a maybe a little bit more of the sort of sociological context of some of these films, because the 70s, I think, is such an underrated era um, in movies. It was considered in some ways trashy because you ended up with, I mean, at that point, I was really into music. I worked in radio. I was a newscaster. Um, uh, I did some, <laughs> I still have my scripts for some of my little movie reviews at the time, which is pretty funny. But um, yeah, so... <laughs> So I, I understand maybe a little bit more from an experiential point of view as opposed to from a film history point of view 
why some of those films might have been in that category. When you saw Annie Hall, did you drag different people to see it? I have a, I, unfortunately he's now deceased, but my best friend at the time who I met when I moved to Ottawa and became like, a, he was like my brother from another mother, Howard and I went, we couldn't believe what we were seeing. And you know, it, it, it it's, I have a lot of things to say about it. It's like I could talk about it for a long time, but effectively I'm kind of Woody Allen. And, and so it's, I'm that kind of personality. And it was the first time I saw People talk, I, I, when you talk about representation and what that means, it's really, that movie really, for me, says a lot about it. It was really interesting to see somebody that neurotic and that um, uh, I was kind of funny and I was fast and, uh, and, you know, so it was like looking in the mirror. And then it, it, it was, a, I loved New York. I loved the idea of New York. I always grew up with this fascination for New York. So it, that era, New York was going through a rough time. And Alan encapsulated and captured so much in that movie. Um, so uh, I, I did not have to drag anyone. Howard and I went back three times in a row because he was also kind of Woody Allen, a more balanced human being. But yeah, I was definitely just, I should have been relating to some of the female characters maybe, but that, that, that sort of neurotic, and it had it, it also was kind of of the times, you know, that was it did speak to the times in yeah. more than just my life. When and I'm really curious, so I, you know, I don't I didn't come at Annie Hall as a person at the time because uh, I was six and I think I probably <laughs> would have been lost on me a little bit. Um, I have Marshall McLuhan right here. I don't think a six year old would have <laughs> would have understood what that meant, really. <laughs> um but I do come at it from the sort of cultural specificity of being Jewish and it, it having this very strong kind of Jewish cultural impact of me, uh, me too. Uh, uh, on me, right? And me and uh, and I am really curious. You know, it. I don't think I have I have no compunction about understanding why it won Best Picture, but we can talk about it more and why you guys think it won or didn't win. But but I do think it's interesting. Like, what is you know, Leslie, what was your reaction to it when you saw Annie Hall? Well, I remember watching Annie Hall first um, years ago. I, was, I think I was probably about 16. And to kind of uh, add to what, what Karen was saying, I think there is something about the representation of it in terms of there's a universality, universality of it. or so, just There's something about the way he encapsulates that neurosis of being a being a person trying to get into dates and, and everything and being that kind of the odd person, um, even in somewhere like New York and, and having this kind of talent, but not sure about this talent and all these little things about it, um, about him as a person. And I really latched on to that um, because that's what Alan was really good at doing. And that's why in all his movies, there is a Woody Allen type character in there is just his way. Um, but going back and watching it again, um, this week, what really kind of solidified things to me was the filmmaking itself. And it's quite interesting. It's quite funny that I think people talk a lot about, um, like the Spielberg one so the one the one camera take where he can make he, he just has a one camera shot and it's actually just holding the camera at a certain point and people kind of block and talk around it and 
there's this amazing moment in Annie Hall where, like, the characters talking aren't even in the frame and they're having this back-and-forth conversation and they kind of slowly warp into frame. But it's also Gordon Willis cinematography composed in such a way that you've got a leading line-up to them as well. So you can't see them at first and then they kind of come in and I was just... It's such a simple-looking thing in terms of, like how do you do that type um, moment? Um, but one of the things I found is like, I look, when I look at, especially a lot of modern um, kind of rom-coms or comedies or anything else like that, I was like, no one's putting that much effort into something so simple. No one's putting effort into those kind of little conversations. And apart from maybe, and this is going to be a bit weird, but like, I really liked Olivia Wilde's um, Booksmart because I thought that was, had one of the most mm-hmm. well-directed sequences in something like that and maybe something like game night as well um but watching woody allen watching woody allen watching annie hall what i loved about it is he was just breaking the mold from scene to scene while also investigating his own neurosis and for someone like myself who was writing about movies at the time of 16 and whatnot i was like man i really want to make films this is really interesting it was just his ability to use form to navigate his personal aspects were, were the things that really kind of, kind of, I wouldn't say shook me to the core, but just, I was just flabbergasted by how he made it look effortless and easy. It's so, I find that so interesting because people rarely, if ever, talk about the filmmaking itself. In Woody Allen, they talk a lot about the characters and the writing, and I, you're right. There's, there is a lot of formal invention and not just the stuff around. I think talking directly to the audience, which, you know, obviously yeah. had been done in different ways many times, but, but was done very uniquely here. But, but you're right. There's, there's an awful lot of uh, visual uh, ideation going on in how he chooses to uh, sort of expose his ideas, right. To actually like work them through. And that it's thing cut of, so well, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the thing that you realize is like, it's, it's a comedy. So it ha- the timing has to be on point and it is cut. Yeah, so well, so leanly, and so I don't feel that you need to have overt backstory to all these characters right. because it's already in there, and you know you seem to know so much about these people the moment you meet them, and that is something quite interesting to see from someone. I, he just seemed to capture those personalities well, and I I don't know if those were the personalities of New York at the time, but. I mean, I, I, a lot of the writing used to say, well, look at what he's doing with these kind of slightly upper-class individuals in New York. And you could only wonder <laughs> if you like how, how good he was right, how, how well and how accurately he was putting this together on screen. Um, there's just something, there, there's something about it. Ryan, is that sort of your takeaway as well? Or do you sort of come out and bring other things out, draw other things out of the, the experience? I think my experience with it is that it's a film that um that moves the form um like when i when i was a when i was younger certainly before i came to it my taste in comedies were things like uh you know dumb and dumber or crocodile dundee or you know like like silly slapdash big broad um make money silly comedies and just like anything any other art form any one thing can be many things, um, which I, th- I think is why um, 
the Academy stood and stood behind it in, you know, in the face of something uh, much, much bigger uh, and broader in the way of Star Wars was it was a comedy that basically said comedy can be something else. Like comedy can be a lot more cerebral. It can be a lot more, a lot drier. It doesn't have to be slapstick. It doesn't have to be screwball. Um, you know, it doesn't have to necessarily appeal to all audiences. It do- that doesn't make it any less genius. Um, you know, you can see the influences of this uh, touchstone picture when you watch films by Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach. And I think it's quite apropos that they are together uh, mm. <laughs> considering their, their taste, obviously um, it's, I think it's saying something that aside from the artist, it's the last picture to win uh, the last comedy to win best picture. And the artist gets a big lift by playing with the silent form. Like, it, you know, you can say that the artist is using that as a gimmick and that's how it ends up being the next comedy to win best picture. Um, so that was, that was my thing was actually the first time I watched it at age 1920. Um, I didn't get everything, which is, it was just more my sense of humor at the time. But like Leslie said, like, I certainly, I certainly appreciate the filmmaking was spectacular. Like Karen said, like seeing, um, you know, a story of people who weren't in my immediate community and weren't, you know, it made things far more interesting. Um, and that is everything happening inside of the box. Um, you know, there is a broader conversation outside of the box if we are reconsidering 1977. Um, but inside of the box, that is certainly my yeah. relationship with, with Annie Hall. And look, there's there. Oh, sorry, Karen. Go I, I'm just, just going to say Joaquin Trier, 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 who did The Worst Person, is the director of The Worst Person of the World and other films, has cited, also cited Alan as a, a filmmaker. I, I, Alan hasn't, I can't remember if he's talked about this. I, I'm sure this isn't my own thought, but I think he's very inspired by the French New Wave when it comes to the style of filmmaking. He'd obvi- he'd made a few films before yeah. in Hall, obviously, and he'd been, I, I didn't realize he'd been a theater director. He'd written a lot for TV, but I think that he probably came of age watching those French New Wave oh, sure. movies in New York. And a lot of that, I, I've gone back to them because he's a huge influence on me. And as I started to get more serious about film, looked at stuff and that business of people talking off screen you know, some of that, some of his moves are to me quite inspired by that. And I love the way yeah, they work and change American comedy. Oh, he there's did do lot. fast. If yeah, you, yeah. If you remember, and, he did do fast with, with bananas early mm-hmm. on, like his first movie. Yes. And it, it, this was the one ways where people kind of turned around and went, oh, he's actually, he could actually be serious. Yeah. So he did, he did three farces in a row because he did, he very broad. He did uh, one that took off on, uh, sort of uh, revolutionary politics, which was bananas. Then he did one that took off on science fiction with Sleeper. Uh, and then he did uh, Love and Death, which is essentially like a parody of Russian literature and, and epic movies. Um, and I think he, you know, the thing that's, sh- you know, to me, the thing that like at the time would have sort of shocked people into realizing kind of the depths of this guy was the fact that he had done these movies and they had pigeonholed him. They decided he was a, a kind of a Mel Brooksy director he was a guy that was going to take on genres maybe they were a little more elevated genres than mel brooks was was taking on but he wasn't going to turn around and do this and you know to be frank it is astonishing to see the growth between those movies and this um the one thing that i don't think really gets talked about a lot that i think is really key to 
maybe like for me, what makes Annie Hall special or lasting or influential in a way is Alan's background as a standup. Yes. He, he might be the best pure joke writer to ever do it. If you go back and listen to Woody Allen, standup comedian, that is banger after banger. And quick. Uh, A quick and incredible setups. And the thing about Annie Hall is that it captures, you talk, you know, Karen, you mentioned the neurotic quality, but I think what it really captures is his stand-up persona of this sort of, you know, uh, neurotic person and translates it into a story that is super compelling. And in my opinion, like, we can talk about a lot of the films, like the like Worst Person in the World and a lot of other films that I think benefited from Annie Hall. But frankly, I'm not sure without Annie Hall that there's ever going to be a Seinfeld. No. Like, like how, how would that happen? How would, you know, those scenes with him and Tony Roberts just kind of walking down the street and Roberts keeps calling him that nickname and stuff. It's like, that's Max. That's Seinfeld. Mm. That is, you know, like uh, to me, that's where a lot of that sensibility comes from where you go, I'm a stand up and I have this thing. Now I'm going to turn it into a show, uh, like a dramatic form. Right. And the, and the, sorry, I'm interrupting, but the thing also no, no, about, the, about that movie, when you look at the other nominees and then the and then even go larger to see what was missed, but when you look at one of the reasons that movie might have been compelling beyond all of the sophistication, the quality of it, like it wasn't a toss-off uh, thing, is that it really did capture the times. It captured a certain point in feminism. It captured, uh, like Annie Hall was this kind of conflicted character between old and new like I was kind of I'm a little younger than Annie Hall would have been but certainly that we're that generation of women that was raised to be one thing and then suddenly you had all this freedom there was the youth culture coming in it was also Hollywood was changing um, and it had already started in the early 70s but it was changing again so you what you had was New York was decaying it was a mess there was racism all this other stuff that he touches on in the movie so I think that when you compare it to the other some of the other nominees there and you compare it to Star Wars, which now with Legacy may look different, in that year, you couldn't have asked for a movie that sure. seemed to encapsulate so much of the culture. It's, uh, it's fascinating to me that Goodbye Girl was nominated the same year because it's a very much, uh, a, a, I, in my opinion, well, we can talk about it, but I feel like it, it, it suffers by comparison. Oh, very much so. <laughs> it's not that it's it a is, bad film. It's just it that it's not at all. It's very charming, but it looks like a sitcom in <laughs> yeah. just next to it. Look, it, it. And I think it, yeah. if I remember in production in production notes, I think they were trying to make it a sitcom, um, and it shows. Uh, not in a I, I, I try to say it in a kind of negative way, but I'm just thinking of like the old couple and things like that. And uh, it's. Just, just like, does the goodbye girl feel like the real New York? Not at the all. Way that, <laughs> the way that Annie Hall feels like the real New York? I, no, well, I mean, it, it feels like a play. That's the thing. Like, it's not It's not a fluke that Neil Simon wrote it. Like, it plays like mm. a play, and it feels yeah. like a play. Like, it, it's got those lines that are really, really catchy in that very uh, Billy Wilder, I.L. Diamond kind of way uh, that, that really, really crackle on a screen. But... Where, you know, films like Annie Hall um, and and some of the others that we talked about even before that didn't even make the class felt more like they were cut from people sit, sitting around and shooting the shit. This felt very, very like, you know, well, but very, very rote. He, he rewrote it. He rewrote it in six weeks. Like there's a, he originally had cut, made it about something different. He was married to Marsha Mason. So she was the lead in it. Originally cast Robert De Niro in it. And it wasn't Man. working. So he, he didn't, none of it was, it was set in LA. So I want to see that version. It. 
<laughs> he re- he said De Niro is not that De Niro is not funny. It's that De Niro is funny in a different way, and 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 of course Neil Simon's yeah, as you said. But I wonder if you took Richard Dreyfus out of that movie. I mean, to me, with no disrespect to any of the other people, Marsha Mason was okay in it. She was good in it. The little girl Quinn Cummings was good in it. But to me, that movie rests on the performance by Richard Dreyfus. It's, it's so a, yeah. charming. It's a tour de force. Yeah. There is, there is, let me tell you this. There is no point in my entire marriage where my wife has not hung up her bra and I have not said, I don't like the panties hanging on the line. And I pull, <laughs> like, like that thing from the bathroom. I just have it in my head constantly. It's just so funny the way he says it. Um, and and uh, a fun sort of like weird fact, but you know, the, the sort of the comic set piece of that movie is this horrendous production of Richard III that he gets himself into. Yeah. And uh, the character that Nicole Williamson plays, the sort of uh, maniacal director, is based 100% on Mike Nichols. <laughs> oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so I guess uh, I guess Neil Simon had had like a somewhat bad experience with Mike Nichols on a show, and like <laughs> this was his revenge? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that role was played by Paul Benedict. Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. The director, which is even funnier. Was, yeah, no, yeah. He, he was hilarious in that. He's got one of those voices that even if yeah. you don't remember his name or his face, it's like, oh, it's that guy. He speaks that, that way in yes. everything. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So, Thank you for the correction. No, it's okay. I, I, just, lo- I just thought he was, to me, that's the point where I thought this guy's yeah. so good. He so, so manipulates that poor actor that played by Richard Dreyfuss in his who's so humiliated by what he's being asked to do. Do you guys think that, like you said, I think it's inseparable to pull that Richard Dreyfuss performance out. Do you think that this was a case of them, the Academy just kind of liking Richard Dreyfuss so much and having seen him come so far with Jaws and other stuff that they, they were sort of caught up in it and wanted to, and wanted to give, put the movie in there. I think it's Neil Simon. I think it was the, the Oscars uh, has a habit of, honoring legacy artists like i didn't like the fablemans i know some people did it's like spielberg got nominated for the fablemans which is not his strongest work to me and i think neil simon is you know he was a superstar at that point yeah okay that's just my feeling. Uh, it's also anybody i mean it's also yeah, just, it's it's also the era this is still when hollywood is really um very very still kind of linked with Broadway. Uh, we're not that far removed from when a lot of the big musical productions were dominating, uh, uh, you know, nominations and even wins, um, you know, very, very deep into the 60s and early 70s. So yeah, a lot if of, you had a successful play, they you, made it into a movie. They made it into Almost a movie always, and right? everybody remembered yeah. the play, especially if it happens yeah. to be a Neil Simon play. So it's, it's yeah. kind of, you know, while on the one hand, it is definitely propelled by uh, Richard Dreyfuss. And if you put anybody else in that, it does not work as well it automatically gets that lift um from from being a neil simon play from being a very successful neil simon play um just because that was kind of the the nature of of things at the time it does feel like a play i mean it doesn't really move that far out from anywhere like one thing about annie hall is at one point you do go to la at one and it's never stuck in one place. You're all over New yeah. York. Yeah, you get well. out into the city a lot. Yeah, and then with this, you're. It's obviously considering what the film is about. It's quite claustrophobic anyway, but you don't really leave that house, and yeah, it shows. It really does show are, in, in that movie. 
There are a lot of movies about New York City, obviously, but there are two that I think capture the geography of New York City perfectly. One of them is Annie Hall, and the other one is Die Hard 3. And, <laughs> you don't hear those mentions together very often. <laughs> both, both films, you could put, like, when he takes a car trip from one place to another, you're like, yep, that's exactly the direct, that's exactly how I would drive that trip. Yes, this is exactly correct. Um, <laughs> I do, now... A lot of years, I think, you know, the all five nominees are movies that people still cherish. They still talk about. They're still kind of top of mind. Not so much this year. I would say, fairly or not, 1977 has two film nominees that I think if you ask the average, even the average, you know, sort of enthusiastic film goer, I don't know how many people have heard of Julia or The Turning Point. <laughs> yeah. I, really, truly. And so, you know, I watched both of those films a couple of years ago, and I will be the first to admit, they made very little impression on me. Um, I, you guys have maybe seen them more recently. What are your sort of thoughts around? Uh, just, so just to put this in perspective, I think The Turning Point had like eight or nine nominations. It got zero wins. It did not win anything. And Julia had like almost the same amount, and it, I think, got one win for Jason Robards, uh, which he pretty much took away from, from Alec Guinness. <laughs> and say what you want about Star Wars, I cannot believe that they didn't give Alec Guinness. <laughs> but so, like, what you know? Did you when? Do you guys want to talk about those two films maybe together a little bit? Because I th or or should we separate them out? I will go to bat for the turning point because that film. That's the only one of these I had never seen before. And you know, if if people could see the group chat for this episode, that was the hardest one for a lot of us to source. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, found it so. online. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that felt. That film yeah. was amazing. I loved the holy heck out of that film. Um, oh, really? I, 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 oh, yeah. I, I watched, uh, my wife and I watched it together and she was like, she as a uh, Broadway nerd and a dance enthusiast was like, why have I never heard of this or seen this before? Because holy shit. Um, you know, wow. you can, you see influences of All About Eve in this movie. You can see how it would affect something like Black Swan in this movie. Yeah. The, the dancing in this movie is just glorious and they it, they take long time if it, you have to like dance i will admit that openly if you do not like dance you're in for a long two hours but if you enjoy <laughs> seeing dance on film yeah. um this is a film where i they, like dance and barishnikov yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah yeah now we're really getting into qualifiers yeah but um you know uh, you you will hear i don't agree with this but you will hear a, a common complaint nowadays that when dance is captured on film that the editing uh does not allow it to just play as well as it could play like it it feels a need to um to intercut and to really you know energize it when maybe it doesn't need it again i don't agree with that but you'll hear that a lot this is the opposite of that there are a lot of long yeah. uh shots where first of all you just watch barishnikov do what barishnikov does and it's just stunning to see but it the the filmmaking captures the dance um, in a magnificent way. And then as if that isn't a treat enough, you watch Cat Ross and um, uh, why did Miss Kublik's name just drop right out of my head? Uh, Shirley MacLaine have this simmering longstanding uh, uh, rivalry, which just plays to the point where they're getting into a cat fight in Lincoln center out in the courtyard. And I'm like, this is cinema. I, I, I was, <laughs> this was, this was the delight of the, of my homework. Nice. This episode. I, I love this movie so much. I'm so, I'm so gutted. Like I, I get gutted sometimes when you hear someone talk so passionately about something. And I just thought it was so slight. No. I was really, I was really frustrated. I, I, the dance is beautiful. 
The dance is absolutely beautiful, and as a Philistine, I only know Baryshnikov from uh, Sex and the City, so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I just found myself just watching this and really wanting more tension, really wanting more out of it, and I just felt so much of it was so slight. I think I thought Tom Skerritt was in it, was in there, then he wasn't anymore, and structurally I got frustrated and by the time it got to the end where you talk about the cat fight I kind of burst into laughter as opposed to and then they burst into laughter and I was like okay well fine okay but I I wanted more I wanted more more fieriness from it I I can see why like I think you hit the nail on the head you can see elements of something like Black Swan in this but what I like about Black Swan is it is trashy and it is um, outrageous. And it's cer- I think it's I certainly needed more, something like that. Yeah. In there. <laughs> yeah. It's it's more stretched out and theatrical and extreme in its yeah. operatic kind of qualities, right? Karen, yeah. you, at the at the time, do you remember seeing? Oh, yeah. I think what's interesting, but it's inter- really interesting to talk about this. I haven't seen Turning Point. It's very hard to get, and it's interesting too that it and Julie aren't because they are films that starred women, right? They are. Yeah. We all mm. talk about where are women, where are women of a certain age. So the thing about Julia at the time uh, is, first of all, it was Baryshnikov's first, I just looked it up again, double-checked, it was his first movie role, and he was a huge star then, which, which of, and of course you couldn't have access to him unless you were in New York, so this was a big thing. I mean, he'd done one or two things uh, on TV, I think, um, but it was this, <clears throat> the thing about the turning point for me was that it, it's this, it, again, it's about women in the era, and you're juggling this changeover between career or family. Can you have both? What does it mean? And there is a little bit of that, well, a lot of that cliche of this, that women are never friends. Like there's always a competition. So I think it attempts to resolve that in a, in a reasonable way. Um, it's uh, so culturally, that's where it's at for me is you had superstar, you had stars in it, Anne Bancroft and Shirley MacLaine. You had this incredible dancer, Baryshnikov, and I think the woman dancing with him, I'm sort of just blanked on her name, is the, was a principal dancer as well. She, as she the, was, yes. At the new, so, you, so you had, it had a pedigree, it was Herbert Roth, like everything about it was pedigree, but at the same time, it wasn't groundbreaking, it wasn't, when we look at the films that ended up being groundbreaking, it wasn't really groundbreaking, and it was attempting to be all things to all people in some ways. That doesn't oh. diminish the fact that it was a good no. movie. No. Yeah. I, I will. I will turn around and say, it's got some amazing. It's, uh, this is going to sound really damning with faint praise, but it's got some amazing blocking in there. And that's that. No, that's not faint praise. That's that's. I mean, that that's really yeah. hard to do. You know, and because it's, yeah. it's one of those things where you realize how good, like the craft of the film is in terms yeah. of looking at the blocking and yeah. looking yeah. at having a crowded table and all these people around it. And then making sure that the one, like, if you want one person to feel more diminished, you place them there. If you want one person to feel more um, empowered in the conversation, you place them there. And the way the the characters move around is, it's that kind of secret source of what makes filmmaking better for certain movies and and, and whatnot. And I think Anne Bancroft is really good as well. And and Shirley MacLaine is always pretty good. Yeah. and I, I should clarify, you know, it didn't leave a huge impression on me, but I certainly don't think it was bad. Uh, yeah. Like, like at all. It's terrific. I think it is, you know, you, somebody mentioned, I think Ryan, you mentioned All About Eve. 
Yeah. And I think that's a good, you know, um, I'm pretty sure uh, the, the Barbra Streisand remake of a star is born was like the previous year. Right. And I, I think there was there, I think there was maybe like a bit of what can we do to look back on some of these, some of these older forms in filmmaking, especially, you know, the seventies, they sort of blew the door off the rules. There were a lot of movies that did not play by traditional rules and had become very successful. And, um, and I think, you know, there was maybe a sense of like, let's, let's try to go back and pull some things forward and make them feel modern and make them feel uh, relevant again. And this, this is probably a good example of that. I just think there's, you know, I, I, I agree that I think a big part of why this movie doesn't survive and why it's very hard to get a hold of is because it has female leads and there's an inherent, there's no reason the turning point shouldn't be in every DVD anniversary collection of that studio and, and, and something that is brought back and held up as a great example of a movie from the seventies. It sucks that it's not. Well, then again, uh, when have you, you know, you take a look at, there are women's movies like TC on the other day did yeah. a, I think it was Scorsese's birthday or somebody, De Niro's somebody's birthday. And, they, so Alice doesn't live here anymore as often. Like we see that as a elevated room, but maybe we need to have Herb Ross, uh, Herbert Ross uh, retrospectives. Yeah. I mean, some of that I think has to do with the director. And you know, it was interesting, uh, Ryan, while you were talking about the dance, think about 1977 and the difference in um, what people expected to see at the movies and the t- attention span. So you could oh, sure. let movies run that, you could let a dance scene go that long because yeah. our attention spans weren't jagged. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think that that's really, an. Int- I, I've never thought about that before in that way, but I think that's a really interesting uh, thing. Or Leslie, when you're talking about like the blocking, you could, you could do it then. You yes. could hold people's attention. People wanted to be entertained. But, um, but I think that, um, yeah, I think that, that it is, maybe it's time to do a retrospective on Ross. And I mean, he was, again, you're dealing with a time where you've got this young Hollywood pushing against the grain. I mean, Star Wars was young Hollywood. It was meant to be a lark, not the beginning of a franchise. Um, yeah. And uh, you've got a guy like Herbert Ross, who I think came from TV. Even. I mean, he, you, so you've these legacy guys dealing with Hollywood as the changeover. And so this was kind of an attempt to be groovier, maybe. Maybe. I mean, I'd have the, to the, research that. But it strikes me as sort of a, a compromise. I mean, or at the, least the, to like get in front of new audiences. Yeah, the, the interesting thing about the interesting thing about Ross is, I mean, he's a director who he's got two pictures out of these five, which is really hard to do. He didn't get best not he didn't get best director for both, but one director getting two pictures into the class does not happen very often. So, I mean, you know, well done, Herbert. But it's also this uh, thing that you know, you as you go back through Oscar history, um, or even just through Hollywood history, you see this thing where directors are a brand for a decade. And then all of a sudden, they're really not. Um, a, a case in point with this is somebody like, and, and I say this as somebody who loves his work, is Barry Levinson. You know, Barry Levinson, like yes. Oscar Oscar award-winning director, Barry yeah. Levinson. If you went to the average film student right now and said, talk to me about the films of Barry Levinson, they'd probably respond with, wait, which one was he? You know, they, they, they recognize the name, but they can't necessarily put the two together. Uh, I think in five or 10 years, you're going to hear that same response with Tom Hooper, but that's a whole other show. Um, <laughs> it's it's and that's the thing is Herbert Ross in the 70s. You're um, not going to hear it about Tom Hooper because no one's going to ask about him. All right. Oscar award winning director, <laughs> Tom Hooper. You know, that's the thing. People would be doing a show like this and be like, wait, which one was he? Wait, so, <laughs> yeah, it's very much what, what Karen was yeah. saying that like. You know, when you're looking at, you know, we all do retrospectives of Scorsese and we do retrospectives of 
Agnes Varda and we do retrospectives of, of, um, you know, um, pick the director, but you don't hear Mm. about retrospectives of people like Herbert Ross, despite the fact that their work is, you know, by all measures, really, really quite good. Yeah, there is, uh, there is certainly a bias against what I would call artful invisibility, which happens a lot in these really good films, Mm -hmm. which is that the director doesn't necessarily put a style on it, but they're just cameras always in the right place at the right time for the right amount of time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, what about Julia? Should we, how, how much time do we want to devote to (laughs) I want to award it the best supporting performance by a hat. (laughs) (laughs) It was a bit of a slog. Um, (laughs) <laughs> I found it a bit. Uh, I, it's just a strange movie, right? Well, well, looking back at the history of the, of of what it's about, and realizing that um, the controversy about it was uh, Julia in real. It's based on a so called true story, but Julia herself may or may not have existed, and it was kind of debunked that she did. Um, I found it really, really hard. Once you, once I had that knowledge in there, I found it really, really hard to kind of sit with the story, especially with the fact that from the tagline and everything, it's all about friendship. And there isn't that many scenes where the film builds upon this friendship. And I kind of just struggled with that. It just seemed to be, I mean, it's difficult because I, I, I said at the beginning of this that I would replace free movies and, Turning Point and um, Julia were definitely one of them. And uh, there's something about what Karen says about um, representation and, and, and women's movies. And I'm, and I'm there really struggling with these two movies. And I was wondering if there was anything I kind of just missed. And maybe it's just I was coming from it from a, diff- a different point of view or, or anything. And I just think it was just structurally, I just found them just hard to get into. Um, there's elements of the craft that I think is, are really good, and I think performances are really good. I think Jane Fonda is really good, um, but th- I'm watching that and I'm thinking, oh, well, I like Jane Fonda in Clue. I don't like her in this. Um, there's just so many. There was just so many well, times I- where I was just just found myself kind of drifting off. I did, there didn't seem to be that much to say. I was like, I was like, oh, is that Dashiell Hammett? Oh, great. And that was about it. Like there wasn't much to it for me like um although i do like jason robards he's you know i mean i think there is a great there is a great movie to be made about the relationship between the lynn hellman and and dashiell hammett i just i'm not sure this is it uh but it's not really about them is it is it right exactly it kind of has him there to say look who it is and when she when she first says dash i was like dad no oh (laughs) and then i was like oh right okay and then you're like oh this is a this is an interesting thing. And for me, a film like this would, I would want to, after watching it, get really involved into looking at the history, looking at those relationships because I wasn't there at the time. And this film doesn't do that for me. Again, to me, um, representation, it's great to see women's films, but they have to be good. I mean, there's, there is that like, you know, (laughs) representation isn't, you know, it's a, it's an important thing. And I think movies should be allowed to fail. Like you should be able to make a, have a director with a vision and they make that vision and maybe it doesn't work. Like uh, to me, that's, you don't have art unless you have failure. It's ridiculous. Otherwise everybody's making just basic standard schlock. I'm not schlock, but it gets to be schlocky if everybody's doing it. So the, um, the so question this to then me becomes, was an, oh, was sorry, an attempt to be, to be portentous. Yeah. <laughs> like it was, yeah. and, and there were more reasons that Vanessa Redgrave's uh, casting. Oh no, was it Vanessa Redgrave? Yeah. Yep. 
I think yep. they were more. I think it was controversial, but I think they had these two incredible actresses, and they wanted to do something with them, and so, uh, so that has that has its own. You know, that's its own form of hell. It has to still be a good movie. It, it it's great to see women's movie stars with women. It's great to see the industry taking them seriously. But by nineteen seventy six and seventy seven, both of them were well respected. So that's so, likely so let's just why say- it, why it did what it did. Is the Sorry. failure on the part of the film, or is the failure on the part of the Academy to think that they needed to elevate this movie into a Best Picture nominee? Definitely on the part of the Academy. It, it seems like a weird, seems like a weird choice, right? Uh, we talked about dancing in movies. I just want to quickly go through some of the movies that maybe, like, certainly could have been on this list and and didn't. Um, and I really want to start with Saturday Night Fever because it is it is mind blowing to me that that was not on the list of nominees. That's a movie that I feel like absolutely hit a cultural moment in a, in an insane way in, in 1977. Like, I'm not sure there was a bigger, even Star Wars, I don't think was a bigger cultural moment in that year than Saturday Night Fever. Like, because the, because Fever gets the extra boost with the music. That's the thing is that it, it, right. it, you know, bounces over into a whole other art form and captures a moment in that art form while capturing a moment in film as well. Yeah. So it's like, but it also you know, puts, double prizes. Puts, yeah, and the music puts, hides yeah. the toughness. The music mm-hmm. hides, yeah. hides the yeah. toughness of that movie. Yeah. I remember never really getting into Saturday Night of the Fever until I actually sat down and watched it. I was like, oh, wow, what am I watching? Yeah. Um, I was kind of shocked by, by by the, again, like some of the racism involved and some of the, just the, the mood the of it all. Yeah, the yeah. definitely yeah. misogyny. And, yeah. and you're sitting there and you're like, wow. And it's just a really, really tough thing. And I just recently watched um, Officer and a Gentleman. Um, and it's the same thing. It's just this element where all the little things that kind of made it into the, the mimification of it and turned them into these kind of pop culture, like, tabletops or counterparts or something. Yeah. And, um, and like, I don't think it's equally important necessarily, but you know, Saturday Night Fever and also looking for Mr. Goodbar the same year, you know, they're not celebrating women, but they're certainly looking at the reality or trying to look at the reality of what's going on with women and what they're facing. Well, I would and, have put, I would have put you know, Goodbar and Free Women in place of Julia and um, the Turning Point, and you would, and I think there is much more. Comp- complicated and complexity there in yeah. those films than I see in something like um, Julia, which I don't know, it, it, it seemed like he wanted to be an espionage film and I don't know, I just didn't get I didn't get much out of it, it just felt like a bit of a slog. What other uh, what other hidden gems or like overlooked movies do you guys think we should be thinking about? Close Encounters of the Third <laughs> The film that I, I, in many ways, I wish could have got the love that are that that Star Wars got uh, to the point where even those two directors made a bet amongst themselves over which one was going to do better. And like each betting on the other saying, no, yours is going to be the better one. No, yours is going to be the better one. And George lost. Um, that, that film, I, I, if, if I actually had, uh, like a time machine and could go back, that is, that, that, that would be my, by door number three between the Star Wars and Annie Hall divide is I would just go through the close encounters door. Karen, is there anything that you feel like we didn't get to or that should be on that list? 
Um, and I, not without going back and looking at 19, like in 19, in that era, when I was going to see movies, I was terrified of going to see something foreign. I was convinced I wouldn't get it. Um, I, that was the year of Eraserhead, which I, I took years to watch. I actually watched it on video when that finally happened. And yeah. it was like... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look. I had I, no I think, idea what I was watching. Like, it, I think <laughs> it's also, also, a movie like Eraserhead feels like it needs to come out of the discussion only because almost no one actually saw it in the year it came out. Like, it's a movie that played midnight screenings and sort of slowly over time became well-known, but it's not really a movie that got released. Would it make like, like a grand? <laughs> like it didn't get it didn't get put in movie theaters the way we would think of a movie, you know. So it's like it's not really. I'm not sure it's fair to like. I love Razorhead, but it's like that's. I'm not. I don't think you can. I don't think there's a way that that movie would have been even talked about in 1977. People were talking about it, but the, you know, like it, it's a quite a kind of quiet hum. It scared me enough yeah. to wait. I mean, mm -hmm. th there are some interesting movies in that year that I haven't. I haven't seen the Duelists. I mean, that that you hear. So there, there are some ones. I, I think. I think Saturday Night Fever. I've never actually contemplated that before quite in in this context but i i think in that era again it was processed as a music film as a film about dancing and about this character tony monero it wasn't really it wasn't i, I don't know that we had yeah, that it's funny. distance it's it is it is a film that has music in it but like i can't think of a movie that's more about uh it's it's, it's sociology yeah that movie it's it's a it's an examination of something that's going on and that you know the fact that it's based on this rather a uh, famous magazine article and that it's really like, I think very effectively looking at like an experience in a way that's really authentic. And again, and, New York and, in know, a very difficult yeah. era, you know, a class, yeah. a class and about attempting to, you know, what disco, it, it, I mean, disco is fun, but it was also a place everybody went and, and got really dressed up. So you're coming out of the era yeah. of down, you know, hippies and all of this stuff where everybody was wearing this, yeah. everybody looked the same. And then suddenly it, this culture is shifting over. And I, and I don't know that there, it would be interesting to try and think about whether this, people were sort of ready for what was going on there. And then there's a movie that opened the same week as Star Wars. And I think in any other, or in most other years, would have been a movie that people were talking about, and that's Sorcerer. Oh, yeah. Um, I think Sorcerer holds up pretty amazingly well. Um, considering it is a remake, I think it is, maybe that hurt it at the time. I think people thought you can't put a remake into contention, but then A Star is Born was in contention the previous year. So I'm not totally sure. And the new Star is Born has it, been in contention in its year. Right, right. And like West Side so, Story, other, you know, right, it's, yeah. Right, right. So other, other than the fact that I think uh, people, may, maybe my guess is that people were not really big fans of Friedkin and they were kind of tired of him because he was a bit of a an enfant terrible in the community <laughs> and like hard to work with and stuff. And so maybe they were like, screw him. But like, it's a pretty spectacular uh, movie. I, I'm, I'm blown away that it doesn't, it gets no nominations. Not even but like- But it was a flop, wasn't it? Like it, it yeah, was a huge flop. Yeah, yeah, huge flop. Yeah, it and, opened the same day as Star Wars. So, and, and, and I think he had a lot riding it, on it at the time. Yeah, I think yeah, he, yeah. I think he had a lot riding at the time, and I think it, it, it did knock him for six slightly. And I'm, re I'm always gutted. 
because I had a chance. I, I met Freakin, and instead of saying anything about sorcerer, I just kind of babbled because I was like, "Wow, I've just met William Freakin." Something we talk about. <laughs> something we talk about on my show, though, is that we we need to remember that when it comes to Oscars, that it is a game, and some studios are just really a lot better at playing it. Uh, you can see this right now with a studio like Searchlight, that just just basically yeah. dominated nominations for at least ten years. I think they're clicking towards 15 years now and at the time if a studio just did not want to push a film for nominations they didn't want the win they didn't want any extra money thrown at it because it does cost that was just the end of it like this stuff it seems terrible to say it but this stuff just does not happen organically it no. it takes it takes a studio to want to do it sometimes out of pride sometimes out of you know, wanting to elevate an artist for work well done, but whichever studio was behind Sorcerer, if they didn't want to, you know, enter it into what they thought was a crowded field with Star Wars already there, you know, after having already taken its lumps at the box office, then that was just, that was game. Are there any, are there any movies that people consider to be blind spots for this year? Movies that you really think you ought to have seen from 1977 and just have not gotten around to it? I mean, Sorcerer. <laughs> Sorry, I was, I was quiet through oh, that no. for a very good reason. No, no. You are in for such a treat. Oh my God, it's so great. I'm so jealous. Um, <laughs> it would be the Duelist for me as well. Duelist. Duelist is great. Yeah, that's a, that's a, uh, I did see that a few years ago. I haven't seen um, uh, Cross of Iron, which is the Sam Peckinpah movie from that year, and, uh, and Fun with Dick and Jane, which is um, that uh, one's good. Seagull. That's oh, that's good. good. That's a good yeah. movie. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's that year. And it's got I remade see... as well, didn't it? Yeah, Jim Carrey. Did. <laughs> yeah, but I think the with remake Jim has Perry. no. But I think the remake has no plot points in common. No, like I think it is a remake technically, but like it's all the whole story's changed, right? So, so uh, I don't know. I, I would like to see it. I did see George Siegel recently in Roller Coaster, and I highly recommend. He's very, it's a very. I thought Roller Coaster is going to be really terrible. It's actually pretty good. Pretty good. Um, so bridge, I'm going to go, oh, sorry. I, I, can't, I wish I could remember a bridge too far. I know I've seen it, but I think that might be another, yeah. another, I can't, sometimes, it, you know, in that era, right. You, it, like in any era, you stuff a movie with stars and sometimes their demands on their yeah. role can kill it. I mean, I wonder, that's what I wonder about Julia, whether you have these two people saying, oh, yeah, yes. we'll do this movie, but this is how I want to. You're totally uh, right though. I, we I, didn't I, talk I, about a bridge too far and it's a massive world war two film with yeah. like, it's one of those. Uh, nine hundred well-known people in the cast movies. Yeah, you know, and a good director. Do, yeah, yeah, did not did not get in there. Um, I think coming off of films like Patton and The Longest Day and like a bunch of other like maybe it just is there's some fatigue around World War II movies and and maybe because of Vietnam people. Oh, definitely because of Vietnam. Bit. Like we're we're right yeah. at that. We're right at the turn of war film. Like you're the next year you're gonna get. Um, coming home the year after you're going to get apocalypse now. So the, the fatigue for the world yeah. war two films was very much front and center. Yes. This, this uh, year did have a movie where uh, with a very conflicted Vietnam vet, unfortunately that vet was played by Henry Winkler. Uh, <laughs> it was called heroes, but it was the number 10 movie at the box office in 1977. He was shell shocked to Mundo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He was him at Sally field. Very strange. Yeah. Uh, and it was a huge hit, apparently. Yeah. Um, okay, let's 
Let, no, right. It just totally has disappeared. So let's go around the room and talk about uh, what would we actually have on our ballot. I will I will participate in this, but I'll go last. Uh, let's go in reverse order. Ryan, what would your ballot look like for 1977 if you had to redo it now? So cast a vote for the winner or my five? Your five. Let's start my there. Five. Okay. Uh, I would... Uh, what would you keep and what would you throw? I would keep Star Wars and The Turning Point. Knowing what I know, yeah. Knowing what I know now, I would lose Annie Hall. I would lose the Good Boy Girl for its own merit, and I would lose Julia. I would replace those three with um, three women. With um, I'm gonna, I would replace it with Searching for Mister Goodbar and Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Okay. Uh, Leslie, what would you what would you keep and what would you throw? You've talked about it a little bit, but let's formalize it here. So, yeah, I would keep Annie Hall. I would keep Star Wars, just because. Um, even though I, I said a week ago, I've just been, been the whole franchise. Uh, <laughs> but um, I'd keep that. And then I would go with Sorcerer. And I would go with, I, I did notice down, um, it was Sorcerer, Looking for Mr. Goodbar, and Free Women. Um, those are the ones I would go with. Karen, what would you keep? I would keep Annie Hall. I would keep Star Wars. And what would you, what would you add back in? Well, that is a question. I, I, I think... I think that I would have to spend a bit more time rewatching things because I, I didn't see the free women film. Is it three women or free yes. women? Three women. Robert, uh, Robert Altman. Altman. Yeah. Okay. S- Sissy did- Spacek, uh, post Badlands, pre Carrie, uh, um, Shelley Duvall doing her twee Shelley Duvalliest, uh, all out in this, like, out in it's the middle of in no, a, like nowhere, a sanatorium, right? Yeah, yeah, sanatorium in this like kind of yeah. backwoods Texas area where there's just like you know like a Melrose Place type apartment complex. I'm so excited about this movie. I'm smacking my own mic. Is, um, it, is it 1977 though? Is that the year? I don't see it on any of my lists. Unless it I is. just it should t- be. Yeah. Okay. No, no. I think we're right. I think it's 77. Yeah, yeah. I believe you guys. Yeah. Uh, um. Well, I would. I okay. I would I would also only keep Annie Hall in Star Wars, I think. And I think it's unfortunate because there's some good movies in there. But but yeah, I think the other three do not quite make the cut. I think Saturday Night Fever has to be on that list, Close Encounters. And then I think the fifth one, it's it's a toss-up between looking for Mr. Goodbar and and Sorcerer, but I think I would pick Sorcerer. And that would be my fifth. Um the real question is did did they make the right choice with Annie Hall, or do we need a do-over? I know Karen thinks we do not. I'm going to just go out on a limb here and say, you believe they made the right choice. Am I correct? Yes. Of this, okay. of this group, yeah. Because at the, in that era, again, yeah. Star Wars was considered, was not considered, well, um, I mean, it was really respected and loved and it had huge box office and it was fun and it was a game changer. Um, but if you look at what Annie Hall did, it was more refined. It was more culturally... I just think that it was an important film. I, I think it represented a change in comedies and rom-coms. 
Um, I think that it was beautifully made, and and I and I think it kind of hit a cultural nerve. This is a really fun debate and discussion because I think what we're getting down to is what is uh, on a weird level. What's more important, the hero's journey or observational comedy? <laughs> Uh, (laughs) and that is as that is as tough a choice as you are likely to have sir but but you know the thing about about oh sorry leslie the the thing about the oscar awards is that people can teach you how to understand a movie how to make a movie but nobody's there's no course on how to choose an oscar not winner there's no choice on how to compare apples and oranges so so Oh, you know, I mean, because it's the di- because the distance of history, um, it's possible to say that this is the film that seems to have. Gra- not every year do you get a film that grabs the zeitgeist like this. Well, so and, that's and why it's to, easy for yeah. me to say. That, that's why I'm so definitive. Usually, I'm floundering all over the place. No, no, no. And not to put pressure on this conversation, but we are in touch with the uh, Academy, and whatever we decide here is going to be what stands. <laughs> so, I just. <laughs> Leslie, would you change it? Uh, yeah, so I feel that I would give Star Wars Best Picture, even though I, I know what I've said all this episode, I would give Star Wars right. Best yeah. Picture. Yeah. And I would give Best Director to Woody Allen. Okay. I think I think, I think Annie Hall's a better directed movie. Watching the two recently, looking at them, I was like, I now, now realise why they do have Best Director, Best Picture. I get the feeling that in terms of the success that it came out of it and, and moving stuff forward, Star Wars is the one that gets it. And obviously I've got hindsight with this, but in terms of how a mo- how the movie is made and what they're doing, I think it's quite interesting. And, and directorial choices, I think it would go to Woody Allen. That's how I'd do it. I'd split it that way. Ryan, would you do this over? I absolutely would do this over. Uh, if yes, I'm, you you are the one person who th- threw Annie Hall out of your ballot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. sorry. Um, I I would I would give Best Picture to Star Wars. Um, it, I mean, it, it changed a lot of things. Uh, some for better, some for worse. Uh, it, it's 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 fascinating that in many ways it's a complete antithesis to anti to Annie Hall in the way that Annie Hall is such a singular vision where Star Wars is really a film where that it took a village. Like that is not George Lucas's, you know, vision entirely. It is the editors helping him. It is God knows it is the composer helping him. It is mm. the production designers helping him. It is everybody making that thing work because if it was just George doing what George wanted to do, it would not work <laughs> nearly that well. Um yeah. but the fact that the village came together in that way. Uh I I would celebrate the village. And, you know, to, to go with Leslie's um, extension of this and say, I would also then split off director, but I would split director over into Steven Spielberg for Close Encounters because he is directing his ass off in that movie and making it look so simple. Okay. Close Encounters is, uh, now that I didn't give my other list, but it is, just want to endorse that. <laughs> Stamp yeah, it's, it's a narrow thing. I, I, um, I love this discussion. I think we have collectively decided that that amazingly Star Wars does win out as our choice for best picture. Not collectively. Said, not, collectively <laughs> yeah. not, not, not unanimously. <laughs> I can never uh, forgive that last scene. Sorry. Of Star Wars? Was, 
It was hokey then, it's hokey now. Sorry, go on. <laughs> Not a big you fan of handing like? out medals? <laughs> no, I think, the, I think, no, 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 you're, you're mad because they don't give one to Chewbacca. I know, I understand why you're angry. <laughs> that is some Chewbacca erasure. He flew the damn plane! All right. Um, Look, I this has been incredibly fun and what a great year to look at and like what a stark contrast in nominees. So I I couldn't have enjoyed this more, guys. Thank you so much, all of you, for participating. Um, let's go back through the order again in reverse and we'll just talk about where we can find your work online. Ryan, where can people seek you out and find out more of the wonderful things that you do? People can find me at thematinee.ca. My show is on pretty much anywhere you can find a podcast. It's there. I went looking the other day for like new platforms. I was like, oh, I already happen to be there. How about that? Uh, so yeah, my show drops fortnightly. We talk about uh, a lot of smaller movies, but we, you know, dip over into blockbusters now and then. And uh, uh, thank you very much for having me. This was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Leslie, where can we find your work online? Including, by the way, you put it down yourself earlier, but you are a hell of a photographer, man. Uh, please. <laughs> please. Don't, Love oh, your photography. I'm, I'm really, I'm going through, um, <laughs> I'm going through imposter's enjoyment at the moment, so please don't. <laughs> um, uh, so you can, it's easy to find me on Instagram and Twitter at Afro Film Viewer. Um, at the moment, I'm usually writing on uh, Set the Tape. Um, um, I can also be found at the erotic uh, thriller podcast, um, Fatal Attractions. Um, I'm there a lot. I think we're 98 episodes in now. And um, I'm trying to get my um, hiatus podcast, uh, Hustlers of Culture, back when I can, um, which was, unfortunately, due to strategy, is just not with us at this moment in time but we'll see what's going on with that well thank you very much karen uh where can we find you online and enjoy more of your thoughts and ideas um i'm part of the team at original dash is that a dash sin not not a lower dash the one in the middle original sin.ca and uh, that's my most um frequent one i do a few other things but that's the best place and this was Thank fun. You so much. Thank you so yeah, much I'm, for having me. I love love meeting all of you guys. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you very too. much. All right. Well, we will be back with another episode looking at uh, the following year, 1978. Uh, in the meantime, be well. The theater is closed. Let yourselves out and don't forget your coats. Nineteen seventy-seven is done and dusted, with a mixed response, but ultimately no do-over. Thanks again to Ryan, Leslie, and Karen. We'll be back with another episode soon for your reconsideration. For your reconsideration is a production of Duver Podcasts and Such. To subscribe, share, rate, and review, please visit duvra.com. Podcasts and such.